Can I invite you to turn to the Psalms? Psalm 16, we had a quick thought concerning it last night. I want to read the whole psalm again this morning and spend a little time thinking about it. Psalm 16. Speak, O Lord, as we read your word. For we know that in reading it, your word is reading us. So may this truth that we've been singing about find a resting place in our hearts. And Lord, may it change our lives. In the Saviour's name. Amen. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. As for the saints in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion, my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices, and my body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Amen to God's precious and wonderful truth. I'm going to take my coat off in case I get excited and uh, just share with you for a short while part of this lovely psalm. If you were here last evening for that splendid meal, you will know that we have been thinking briefly so far upon the theme of tough times, great God. And we were saying last night that whoever we are, There are those moments indeed where we go through these tough times. And we discover in Psalm 16 that David was going through a very tough time. And yet in the middle of it all, as we read in verse 9, he says, my heart is glad. And we began to think last night about what it meant to have the glad heart. I'm sure that each one of you have got your own favorite psalm. And this particular psalm, you'll notice, is referred to there as a miktam of David. Now, you may ask the question, what on earth is a miktam? Good question. This is the first of six. The other five you'll find between Psalm 55 and Psalm 60. And there are a number of suggestions as to what a miktam might be. And those suggestions have been many and varied over the years. But my general consensus of understanding is this, that uh, it seems to my mind that a miktam is a golden psalm. There's a lot that could be said about that, but there isn't time to do that this morning. 
But we want to have a look at this golden psalm, and especially these golden words, my heart is glad. Psalm 119 is not a golden psalm, though as you know, the longest one. Psalm 23, which we, we all love, is not a golden psalm. Perhaps it's diamond, I don't know. But there are six psalms that were written that are referred to as miktams, and they are golden psalms. And it's interesting to realize that this particular psalm is the psalm that the Apostle Peter took up on the day of Pentecost. And although we have maybe a a brief view as to what Peter was preaching there, a lot of his thinking was focused upon Psalm 16. And then the Apostle Paul later on in one of his letters also makes reference to this particular psalm. So then if Peter and Paul can refer to it and give much credence to it, then it's certainly worth you and I enjoying and experiencing something of what this psalm is all about. So let me give you, first of all, an overview of the 11 verses. You know what it's like when you go up into an aeroplane and you're taking off and you begin to see the the panoramic view below you there before you reach the clouds and go away above the clouds and how good it is from that vantage point to view what's going on there beneath you and to see it. I love those times when you're taking off in an aeroplane. A bit more difficult when you're coming down, mind you. And I've had a few interesting journeys, as maybe you have, over the years. But notice with me this overview of the psalm here. Because here we discover in verses 1 and 2 that David is looking above. He's fixing his eyes on God. He's going through a tough time, but he's underscoring the importance of getting your eyes upon the Lord. And that's why he says, Lord, keep me safe. You are my Lord, because apart from you, I have no good thing. So David's eyes are fixed upon the Lord. He's looking above. And then in verses 3 and 4, he's looking around. He's thinking of uh, the sorrows of, of those who run after other gods, and he's comparing the blessing that there is for the people of God, those that he refers to as the saints. And so he's looking above and he's thanking God. He's looking around, he's seeing the world in need there with all that's going on and he sees the, 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 the ungodly at times that uh, seem to be getting away with it and, and the godly who seem to be going through the mill. But looking around, he has a lot to think about. And then you'll notice the third section here in verses 5 to 7. He's looking amazed because his heart is so thankful. The boundary lines have fallen for him in pleasant places. He has a goodly heritage. And looking back upon his life, in spite of the ups and downs of life's experience, he's just amazed at all that God has done. And assuredly, when you and I, dear friends, this morning, look to God and see what God is doing, look around and sometimes be overwhelmed by all that's going on, oh, how amazed we are that God is so good. Not the least of the church and 126 years, how much we've got to thank God for this morning. But the last section of the psalm here is in verses 8 to 11, whereby he looks ahead. He's already been looking to God. He's been looking around him at the scene. He's been amazed at what God is doing. But he looks beyond the now. He looks ahead because he talks about being in God's presence. And as our older translation puts it, In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And so that overview of the psalm is certainly worth 
having a look at. And it brings together, it coalesces the glorious themes in David's mind and heart, especially in tough times. Now, having said that, as we said last evening, verse 9 really is the, the hub of the psalm. It is the centerpiece that gives us insight into what the psalm is all about. Notice what he says in verse 9. Therefore, he says, my heart is glad. It's an interesting word, therefore, isn't it? I suppose it could be referred to as a conjunction word that brings in what is before to what comes afterwards. So he says, yes, I'm going through tough times, and I know that at times the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places and have a goodly heritage, but the background of the psalm is a background of pressure and difficulty. And so he says, my heart is glad, therefore my heart is glad. I remember when I was a young buck those many years ago, I heard a preacher say something which I've never forgotten because he said, whenever you see the word therefore, you say to yourself, what is it therefore? Which is very simple, isn't it? Very basic. And so David is saying, my heart is glad, therefore my heart is glad, and he gives us reasons in those previous two verses there as to why He's got a glad heart. Is it possible to have a glad heart when the times are tough? Is it possible to know the joy of the Lord when when our world seems to be crumbling around us? When, When dreams are shattered? When enthusiasm abates? When the keenness and joyfulness that we had maybe in a future day, it seems to be dissipated and and we're in a situation now whereby things are so difficult. Is it possible to have a glad heart? Of course it is. Because our gladness of heart doesn't depend upon how we feel or our circumstances, though those things invade our lives powerfully. But our glad heart depends upon what the psalmist is saying here in the verse. Now notice why he gives us, or what he gives us, as to why he's got a glad heart. In verse 7, he says, My heart is glad because I know that God is behind me. God is behind me. Mentioning last night about the, the horse and the reins of our lives there. God is behind me. Come back to that in a moment. And then after he says that in verse 7, he says, I have set the Lord, in verse 8, before me. So David says, my heart is glad because God's behind me there. He's got the reins of my life. And God is before me there. And I've set God before me there. I'm looking to him. That's the second reason. Third reason, again, as we come to these particular verses, in verses 9 to 11, we see that David says that God is beyond him. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. So that whatever happens in in my world, says David, whatever happens in my circumstances, I know that God will see me through, that God will take me there, because one day I shall slip anger from this world, and I'll be in God's presence forever. So, we understand from Scripture here that David's heart is glad because God is behind him, God is before him, 
God is beside him. God is beyond him. What a wonderful God David knew the reality of in his own life. So come with me then to verse 7 this morning and have a look at this whole theme of where God is in David's life. David says, I'm glad because God is behind me. Yes, I know that he's before me and beside me and beyond me, but I'm glad he says in verse 7 that God is behind me. Now he mentions two things here, doesn't he? As we look at the verse. He says, God is behind me and he wants to praise God as we've been doing this morning because he's the God who counsels me. Who counsels me. The New Testament word for counsel is the word comfort. Who comforts me. Remember Jesus said to the disciples, I'm going to send you another comforter there. And the comforter who is to come is not to make you comfortable, but to make you comforters. I suppose it's natural that we we all want to feel comfortable. I mean, is that pew comfortable for you this morning? I was reading about a church in America, believe this or not now, that we're introducing reclining pews. Can you imagine that? Reclining pews. It's hard enough for the preacher to communicate to folk, you know. I've been looking for a clock in here. The pastor is no clock in here at all. What a wonderful church. <laughs> Someone said he didn't mind people looking at their watch as long as they didn't start shaking them, you know. But here in America, there are, there are these reclining pews. My, my. That's something else. That's far removed, isn't it, from, from our understanding of Scripture. The word counsel there, the word comfort there, is not to make us comfortable, but to strengthen us. That it might be a ramrod down our back. That we might be, as Paul says to the Ephesians, strong in the Lord and then the power of his might. And so David says, I'm glad because the God that I believe in is the God who brings me counsel. He's the God who brings me comfort. And notice what he says here in the verse. He says this. He says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night my heart instructs me. Even in those night times, those dark times, those difficult times, God is there. Again, I, I love the way the authorized version puts it. I was brought up on that and all the verses of scripture that I know. Uh, of course, I know from our AV and I thank God for the AV. Though I appreciate all the translations and paraphrases. Some I would view personally as better than others. But I read them all and enjoy them all. Though I have my own preference now, but never mind. Uh, In the older translation there, the psalmist talks about night seasons. My rains, this is how it's put for us in the AV. My rains instruct me in the night seasons. Or the night seasons that you and I sometimes go through. When the times are tough. And when we come through one of those night seasons, we, we need the counsel of God. We need the comfort of God. We need the strengthening of God. And David, though he's under the gun, says within himself, I'm glad because I know that God is counseling me in those night seasons. 
number of years ago, I read an interesting poem. I just forgot at the moment the, the lady's name who wrote it. But it is called The Seasons of the Soul. I don't know the poem of by heart now. In fact, I just know two or three lines. But that was the line that grabbed me those number of years ago when I, I read it. The Seasons of the Soul. Though in our spiritual pilgrimage and journey we go through seasons, don't we? I mean, after all, you know, within our own country there are four seasons, as far as I know. Mind you, an island, there's four seasons in one day. But normally, there are four seasons. There's spring. Spring's not too far, hopefully, around the corner. Spring's a great time, isn't it? When there is newness and freshness and there is that which relays to us life. And so it is with the, the individual heart, isn't it? When, when one comes first into contact with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is spring. And as our old hymn puts it, I've not sung the hymn for many years now. Something lives in every hue, Christless eyes have never seen. And when you come into contact with the living Lord... It seems as if your eyes are opened and you may have been religious or a good Baptist in days gone by or my own background, an atheist and, and that which I was brought up on. But once one comes into contact with the living Christ, then life becomes different. It's spring. And that's a season. And for a number of folk who when they first become Christians, they go on for a while and it's spring. I used to think that every preacher was as good as Billy Graham, that every Christian I met was nearly perfect, that every church was wonderful. I somewhat changed my view over the years, but never mind. It's spring. When one discovers that Jesus takes a life as I took the pen, gets a hold of that life and cleanses that life and changes that life. Called conversion, isn't it? Or, or new birth or regeneration, if you want to be theological about the whole thing, and other terms as well. When Jesus comes in and changes us, wonderful experience. For many of us, we can remember that day or that night. That's good. But for others of us, we cannot pinpoint a day. You don't need a time or a day as such. I have a dear friend in England, haven't seen him for many years, but he said to me on one occasion a tremendous thing, which I've never forgotten. He said, you know, Val, he said, I don't know when I was born, but I know I'm alive. And it doesn't matter if he can pinpoint a day or not. What does matter is that one is sure within one's life that one has been touched by God and the power of the cross is a reality and the living Christ is, is personal and real and you're on a different course all again. It's spring. It's great. That honeymoon period can last for a good while. It lasted in my own life at 17 for two days, which wasn't too long. But it was spring. Then, of course, after spring, there's summer in the season. And, and you get this as a Christian, don't you? You begin your new life. You begin your new journey. And then summer comes, and, and God turns the heat on a bit. And he allows things to come across your life that causes pain. Not being able to understand. 
It's what the Apostle Peter calls the, the trying of our faith. It's much more precious than of gold that perishes. But God turns the heat on and, and the, the first flush of being a follower of Jesus Christ begins to be overcome at times by, I never thought that this would happen. Because the Christian life, as we know, is not easy. Summer, when the heat's on, God allows those heated moments. And then, of course, there's autumn within our lives, isn't there? I mean, I love autumn and harvest and fruitfulness. And oh, how good it is to go through that season where where you're seeing the fruit of the Spirit in your own life. And not only you, but even more so, others are seeing it. Love, joy, and peace. And they're sensing that there's a difference. They're sensing that there's more than just going to church and going through the routine and doing this and that and the other. They sense that there's fruitfulness there. And they see a difference. Of course, there's got to be a difference, hasn't there? Remember a number of years ago, a gentleman wrote to a well-known preacher and his wife opened the letter And as his wife opened the letter, these were the words, would you send me, I'll not mention the fellow's name, would you send me so-and-so's testimony? She wrote back and she said, which one would you like? The one he would tell you, or the one I'll tell you? If it's not reflected in the life, we've got to question our faith, haven't we? Those seasons of fruitfulness, not just in our lives, but in the work that we do among children, uh, with music, with administration, with behind-the-scenes work, with at-the-front work, that all those times when uh, just a season of fruitfulness and God is working, God's Holy Spirit is working, and and God in the church is working in a wonderful way, and that that things are happening. It's such a season. My autumn's great. It's part of the seasons of the soul. But as well as spring and summer and autumn, there is winter. There is the night season. Where it's difficult. And a dear man said to me some while back, he said, Val, I've just come through one of the, the toughest night seasons of my life. It's hard to cope, isn't it, in the night season? A dear friend of mine last year had been struggling for a number of years. He was in his early 40s with cancer. I remember him coming to Christ and I remember him ministering to his life and many times others and myself also prayed that God would heal him. But that wasn't to be. Now I remember shortly before he died, I was sitting beside his bed and was holding his right hand and... Uh, I was wishing within my own heart that it might be me in the bed with the awful disease of cancer, not him. But I said to him, Brian, I said, I want to say something to you now that might be hard for you to take because I know you're going through a night season. I said, maybe it isn't in God's plan to to heal you. We're praying that he will, but maybe it isn't in God's plan. Now, remind him of of David Watson, the Anglican clergyman in York many years ago, wonderful man of God. He too contracted cancer, and he too had a great ministry in healing as well as Bible teaching, and a tremendous ministry did David have. And he came to a point, and, and I said this, now Brian, 
I say this carefully, and I would like you to listen to me, and I knew he would because we were so close. He said, David Watson got to a point where he said, Lord, you take the cancer out of my life, out of my body, or take me out of my body. God took David out of his body. Brian was, by nature, a tough cookie. And as he was sitting there in the bed, he said to me, I can, I can see his face yet now, and it's, it's coming up in a year now, I can see his face yet. He looked across to me and said, Val, he said, Val, that really is hard to take. He said, but I'm still trusting God. I said to him, I'm with you, brother. Sometimes God heals and we thank him for it, and sometimes a mystery to us and he doesn't but it's a night season now one of the, the difficulties in going through night seasons if I may just underscore a couple one of the difficulties is that when people say to us how are you we tend to particularly we men to say we're alright or we're doing okay it's like you see if in the, in the middle late December I was to walk up the the pastor's garden there, and, and I would see some, some lovely roses just outside the front door. I am not, in any sense, someone who understands the whole area of plant growth and all the rest of it there, but I would know one thing, as far as I know now, I would know one thing, that if there are roses in this particular town, in the middle of a cold December, they're growing there in the man's garden. I would know this. They'd be plastic. Because as far as I know now, please do refresh me afterwards. Roses don't grow in the middle of December in the cold. Now when you and I are going through night seasons, what happens to us? We become Plastic. It's not that we've got to wear our hearts on our sleeve and pour it all out with everyone. We can do that with folk that we know very, very well. But uh, God wants us to be real. And being plastic in saying the right things that we know that people want to hear. Yes, for a while it might ease us, but we know that deep down inside we need someone as well as the Lord himself to share our problem. But that's what happens in night seasons. That's what happens in winter. Another thing that happens in winter is this. And my perhaps you've known this. You're walking down the street and you're going through a dark time, a difficult time, a tough time. You're in winter. And you suddenly spot across the other side of the street there someone who's enjoying being in spring. And they are full of bounce. And it's hallelujah and praise the Lord and life's wonderful. And you see them across the road and you say, oh Lord, no, no, please. The Lord bless them and keep them as far away from me as possible. <laughs> no, please. It's difficult when you're in winter to meet someone like that. That's why those of us who have springtimes are going to be careful what we say to folk who are going through the mill but when you're going through a night season, it's difficult to cope with the bubbly individual who says that there's 
no problem at all with life and everything's wonderful and everybody should be healed and you should be in top and if you're not in top, you're lacking in faith and all the rest of it. Life's not like that. So David says that God counsels me in the night seasons. But one last thing about the night season is this, that when you come through and going through your winter, you realize this. What do you realize? Spring is coming again. And that's what lifts the spirit, does it not? That's what lifted David's spirit here. He knew that whatever was happening to him, that that ahead spring was coming. And when you're in the middle of that night season, when you're in the middle of that dark time, when you're going through that toughness of life, whereby you're trying your best to cope with it, God says, my child, spring is coming. And there is that wonderful promise and series of promises from his word wherein you're reading the word of God and you say, oh Lord, I thank you for that. And it's good to remind ourselves, isn't it, as individuals and yourselves as a church and every church goes through its uh, night seasons, difficult times, spring's coming. Oh, said David, I'm glad because God's there to counsel me. Notice the second thing, and I should be finished now, but notice the second thing very quickly. God's there to control me. He says this, he says this. I have set the Lord always before me. As a result of that, even at night my heart instructs me. Here is the God of the Bible, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, your God and my God, who in those tough times is a great God because he wants to bring to us, even though times he might seem distant, he wants to bring to us that word of instruction that's going to get us through that difficult time. I mentioned my father last night who was an atheist and I prayed for him for over 30 years, 30 years, that he might be saved, that he might get to know the Lord. There were some times that I prayed that he seemed to be so near. And there were other times when he seemed so far away. I prayed on. I got weary in praying. And I got, I've got to be honest this morning, to a point where I said, Lord, there's no positive prayer going to be answered here. And then one day I popped in to see them when ministering away in the borderlands there. And I went to see them and uh, came through the door and Saw my dad away over there just outside Newcastle and he sent me down. He said, Val, I need what do you got? And although I prayed so much, I was I was just taken out. After thirty or so years praying that God would touch him. What a joy it was to lead him to Christ. And although he didn't know it then, a few months later, he was in heaven and I spoke, took his funeral. So folks, keep hanging in there. Remember the little children that sat around the table at breakfast and you said grace with them and maybe had a word of scripture? Came along to Sunday school? 
teenagers, they moved into area of teenager activity, both in and outside of church. You prayed for them so much, and this morning, perhaps, they're nowhere to be found. You tried to help them and advise them. You maybe have been on a number of guilt trips, which the enemy loves us to go on. None of us are perfect parents. But oh, this morning, you're thinking about them, perhaps, and they'll not darken the door of a church and feel so far away. That can be a night season. But we keep on praying because spring could be around the corner. And as this fellow in Ireland a number of years ago, he became a Christian and uh, after he became a Christian, his mother prayed for him, believe it or not, for nearly 50 years and had gone to heaven without seeing a prayer answered. And after he became a Christian, he stood in the middle of the hall, this, this uh, wild character. He looked up to the ceiling and said, Mommy, I hope you can hear me now. I just got saved. The Lord who instructs us, the Lord who sees us through, the Lord who gets us there. My heart's glad because God's behind me. He's in control. He's got the reins. But what's next? Well, tonight, if you want to know, you'll have to come along because there's more yet in the psalm. Let's bow together and pray and then we're going to sing, but let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for the joy of your presence with us and and we thank you, Lord, that you know us and understand us through and through. We pray this morning for any good folk in the congregation, Lord, that are going through that night season and we ask that you would strengthen their hearts and we pray that spring might be around the corner. We pray for our children and our grandchildren. Father, sometimes our hearts are broken when we think of the choices that they made and we weren't too happy, Lord, but we just call upon you again that you would touch their lives. And we ask, please, Lord, that wherever we are within our personal journey, that we might know the affirmation afresh that you're behind us. That you're counseling us and you're instructing us and guiding us. And we thank you, Father, that you'll never, never let us go. And with that assurance, Lord, we we go on this morning. We bless your name. We thank you that we can arise as individuals and as a church and put our armor on Because we know, Father, that we have a God who's got our very best interest at heart and who wants to help us that we might in turn help others and that they in turn might reach out to others too. So Lord, when the voice of a preacher is silent, may your voice speak on and continue to encourage our hearts. We ask it in the Saviour's name. 
Amen.